it may come as a surprise to a lot of you, I was not always this cool. You look at me now and you say, what a cool guy, right? But it was not always so. You see, you see, I had the, the misfortune. I was, um, I was in high school in the 70s when, when it was not cool to be a nerd. Nowadays, it is cool to be a nerd, right? Nowadays, there are TV shows about nerds, um, and we all know why. Uh, nerds, nerds are cool because of these two guys. Um, uh, Bill Gates and uh, Mark Zuckerberg, both of them have lots of zeros in their bank accounts. Um, I have mine, I have in mine too, but they're on the wrong side. <laughs> These guys have got them where it counts. Um, so both of them, very geeky, nerdy guys. And, uh, you know, where we used, used to hope our children might become lawyers or doctors, nowadays we think, please hit the jackpot, become an internet.com's gazillionaire, right? And then you can buy me a yacht or something like that. Um, and of course, the, the other reason is because, um, because technology plays such an important life, part in our life. Uh, in the 70s, computers were things in back rooms that insurance companies owned, and, and you got bills from them that said, don't staple or mutilate. And that's pretty much your interaction with computers. Nowadays, computers are all over the place. We've got phones, we've got uh, computers in our houses. We do Facebook, we do all the other stuff, so computers are more important. So it's handy at Thanksgiving to have somebody come over and work on the computer uh, before, before you know, the meal or something. So if you have a nerd in your family, it's very handy. They can tell you, you know, oh, you've got viruses or whatever. So nerds are, are very cool today. Um, even for people like me, um, you, you can kind of bask in their glory. But it wasn't always so. Um, uh, you can barely see that. We used to be the guys along the side of the gym during dances, okay, um, that, that were kind of geeking out together and, and nobody would, would look at us. Um, and I don't really understand why, because I thought we were kind of uh, cool people. You know, I had, um, this next picture shows you, I had, um, I kind of looked like that, um, not as good a complexion, but I had my, uh, my, I had my TI-30, um, calculator dangling from my belt like that, so I was, I was looking pretty cool. Um, and yet, for some reason, I was not. I didn't realize I wasn't cool. Later on, I found out the reason that I thought it was cool is because I just don't have a clue about social interaction. <laughs> a friend of mine on Facebook, I should point out, a friend of mine who I had grown up with, lived down the block from me. We played together all through, all through elementary school and through junior high, and we drifted apart in high school, or at least I thought we had drifted apart. But he contacted me on Facebook and told me, actually, no, he had cut me loose. Um, <laughs> and I felt bad about it now, 40 years later, but, but he had just decided that, you know, the band kids were too cool to hang out with the nerds. Again, this is back when nerds weren't cool. So today it's probably the other way around. Um, the one thing that's, that's clear is that high schools have clicks in them, and if I had had any, um, social savvy, I would have realized I was in one too, and that we were being excluded, but I found this out much later. Um, but but that's the way that's the way uh, high schools are, right? There's cliques. There's the sportos, and there's the, the, the band people, there's the academic types, there's the, the geeky, nerdy types, there's the goths, there's, you, you name it, there's a, there's a little clique in a high school, and the bad news is it doesn't stop with high school, right? It it mutates and changes a little bit. It becomes less um, apparent. But, but people continue to have 
uh, politics, as long as there's people, there's going to be politics. It's not just national politics or state politics, it's office politics, it's sexual politics. Wherever there's people, there's going to be jockeying for, for advantage and position, right? There's just going to be people who, who claw their way to the top. It's one of, one of my favorite books is um, Dave Barry's book. It's a, it's a send-up of all those business books, and it's called Claw Your Way to the Top. And it's based on books like Swim with the Sharks and uh, uh, even, even How to Win Friends and Influence People, right? And this is something that we care about. We care about how to succeed in our lives navigating social relationships and trying to, trying to find the right alliances that will help us to move forward. So Jesus went to a party one day, and he saw people doing this. So it's nothing new. People were doing it 2,000 years ago. And Jesus said, don't bother. Jesus said, you know, just cut all that stuff out. In fact, better yet, remove the temptation. Okay, quit going to parties. Quit having parties where there's people who you can get an advantage from. Okay, just skip it. When you throw a party, invite people who can't possibly give you any advantage. None at all. Invite the poor and the blind, the dregs of society in his day. He said the poor, the lame, the blind, people who had nothing to offer in terms of any kind of a social advantage. He said, just hang out with people as people. Don't hang out with people because of some advantage they can confer on you. He said, you've got, you're already in the best clique of all. You have a God who loves you. And he will reward you at the resurrection of the righteous. He says, you don't have to worry about which clique you're in and how you can kind of uh, maneuver to the top of the curve. He said, don't bother with that. Just skip it. He said, God's going to reward you at the resurrection of the righteous. And showing that people have always missed the point um, of sermons. So, so if you've ever missed the point of one of my sermons, uh, trust me, there's even better preachers that people have missed the point of their sermon, one of the people at that group says, ah, the resurrection of the righteous. Now that's a party I'd like to get into. Yeah. He says, wow, it must be really exclusive. Blessed is the one who eats bread in the kingdom of God. So he's just heard Jesus say, don't worry about how you're going to get into these exclusive parties. Don't worry about whether you're on the right social calendar or not. Don't worry about whether you're going to be um, uh, elected head of the homeowners association, or if your enemy is going to be ahead, and now you're going to have to mow your grass even better. Um, don't worry about any of that stuff, because you have a God who takes care of you. But this person misses the point. They hear Jesus teach them something about life, and they say, aha, heaven. Now that's the really exclusive invitation. If only I could get that invitation, then I'd know I truly had arrived. So let's take a look at how Jesus handled this. Because remember, he's talking about why you invite people who can't help you. Now, there's plenty of other places in Scripture where Jesus says, help the poor, help the blind, help people because they need help. But here, that's not his emphasis. Here he's saying, invite them to your parties, not, not, as, a, not as a charity, but because they're just people, right? They're people, and you don't have to even get involved in the the... the Mechanics in your brain of you know chivying to see who's going to get who's going to get ahead in this relationship because you they have nothing to offer you so just enjoy their 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 conversation and just being with them let people miss the point so he says this 
One of the dinner guests, on hearing this, said to him, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, Well, yes, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that exclusive party you'd like to get into. He says this. Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. Now, Jesus is about to tell what's called the parable of the great banquet. Um, and, and the question is, you know, a parable is whenever Jesus says, the things of God are kind of like these things here on earth. He says, you don't understand the things of God, it's okay, they're kind of like this thing you see on earth. So he gives a parable about a banquet. Now the question is, is Jesus just making this up? Is this just a story he's making up? Or is it based on real life events? When he talks about farming, he, he gives metaphors that people can understand because they know how to farm. When he talks about fishing, they know how to fish. Um, is he telling a story about parties based on just what they know about parties? Or, I believe, I think that Jesus is actually telling them a story that's based, at least in part, on something that really happened. They know about the guy who did this thing. There was somebody who did something very shocking, and, and Jesus is telling a story about it. I don't know that, but that's my guess, and I'll explain as we get through it. He says, someone, and my guess is they knew who, someone gave a great dinner and invited many. And at the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited. Now, bear, bear in mind what he says there. They got the invitation. They've had chance to clear their calendar. They've accepted the, the, the invitations. This is not like sprung on them. They agreed to come to this party. And now the time for the party has come. And so he sends his slave and say to those who have been invited, come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of land and must go out to see it. Please accept my regrets. Well, there's only two kinds of people who buy land. There's people who have so much of it that, that they, can, they can just buy more and then go inspect it later. Or there's the people who are buying a small little, little farm or something, in which case they probably know it very well. They've looked over it a whole lot before they inspect it. So this is probably somebody who's very wealthy and could just, you know, I'll buy that land and I'll get around to looking at it when I feel like it. And so he's saying, now now's a good excuse. I, I'll be able to miss this guy's thing because I've got this halfway plausible excuse. I'm going to go look at this land. So it's an excuse. The second one says, um, another said, I have, brought, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to go try them out. Please accept my regrets. So again, somebody very wealthy, five yoke of oxen. Uh, that's, uh, according to the numbers I saw, that's enough to plow a hundred acres of um, a farm in an era when an average uh, family might need three acres to subsist on. So again, a wealthy person, he could schedule this. He doesn't need to try these out this weekend. He's just doing it to, to say no. And then finally, a third says, okay, uh, I have just been married, and therefore I cannot come. Now, you know how, you know how the stories go. Jesus is a master storyteller. He doesn't say anything by accident. If you're, if you're reading the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears, you know how it works. The, the first bed was too soft, and the second bed was too hard, but the third bed was just right. This is the way you tell stories. So he says, the first person said no, and the second person said no, but the third person also said no. So Jesus is underscoring, this wasn't just three people, this is everybody. Every single person who was invited to this party said no. And they made feeble excuses that are transparent. Why can't you go to a party? He's not saying, I got married today. I'm not saying, I, I, I have a conflict this day. He's saying, 
sometime in the past year, I got married. I mean, literally, he's saying, for a full year, you were excused from military duty for a full year. And he's making that excuse about a party. It's like, you're probably not going to die at the party. So it's not, it's not the, the argument for a year off doesn't count here. So, so people are insulting this person, not just one or two, but everybody is freezing him out. So the slave returned and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. Now this is why I think that Jesus is telling a true story um, and using it to tell us something about God. Because God wouldn't have um, excluded some people from the first set of invitations, and God wouldn't get angry, okay, in the sense of, of thumbing his nose. So, so what does he do? The, the owner of the house becomes angry and says to his slave, I can't wait until they invite me to a party because then I will get even. And he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to get even with them in this way and that way. We're going we're gonna to make it so they're social outcasts too. I'm going to maneuver and jockey and, and figure out uh, some way I can get even. No, that's not what he says, does he? He doesn't say, here's how I'm going to get even. He says, count me out. That's it. I have played the social game. I've tried to work my way up. I've tried to have people within my parties so that I could, I could get this kind of uh, um, uh, system of patrons and clients and debts and obligations. I've tried their game, and I just quit. He says, I'm not going to go get even with them at their party. I'm done with those people. I'm not going to play their game. He says this, he says, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. He says, I'm going to invite different people to my party, that's what I'm going to do. So he says, go out into all the alleys, into the, the gutters of town, and pick up the dregs, okay? Bring them in here, because we're going to have a party. So the servant comes back and says, sir, what you ordered has been done, and there's still room. Now watch what the owner does here, the householder does. He doesn't, well, what the servant is saying is, do you want to hedge your bet? Because see, some of them may come to your party. Do you want to leave some room for them? Right? There's still some room. We've still got food and drink. Do you want to hedge your bet? And the householder doubles down. He doesn't hedge his bet. He says, no. Go out into the countryside. Forget the city. You've already scoured the city. There's nobody else in town you can get. So go out into the countryside. Go out into the, the alleyways and the fields. Find the people laying around there and bring them in. Compel them to come in. Because there will be no room in my house. I am done with that game. So. Jesus says, don't invite people to your party because you can get an advantage. Invite people to your party because they're people. People say, well, yeah, but there's a really big important party is the one up in heaven. I sure want to be part of that. And Jesus tells them this story. Why does he tell them? Why does he tell them this parable? I think what he's saying is you have misunderstood God. The party up in heaven is not an exclusive ticket that people have to have to somehow work their way into getting invited, to get in the guest list. He says, he says, it's expensive. 
It's expensive as can be, but somebody else has bought you a ticket. The question is, are you going to come when you get the invitation? So, uh, sometimes people have said to me about Christianity, they say, I don't understand a God who could, who could rule out people. There's, there's so many, there's so many good people in the world who never heard about Jesus. They don't, they don't believe in Jesus. They don't know anything about God. What about good people like that? I think this story teaches us we may be surprised how broad a net God casts. I think this story, when he says, bring them in, when he says, compel them to come in, I think he's inviting us to imagine a God who wants as many people as possible to come to the heavenly banquet. But we may be surprised by who's not at the heavenly banquet. The people we thought were super religious. It turns out they were trying to worm their way into the party to elbow their way through the crowd so they could come in. Jesus is saying, they're the ones who probably don't understand how this works. They're the ones who just want one more exclusive invitation and would turn one down if they knew how big the guest list was. So maybe the first thing for us to learn from this is that God is in high school. And we shouldn't project high school onto God. God doesn't work that way. So if you have some notion about God that, that somehow you've got to be in the right clique, you've got to, you've got to uh, please the right people, you've got to make the right people happy, you've got to exclude the right people to get over that. God's not about high school. And that is a lesson for us as a church. Jesus says here, speaking of this man and his party, but projecting it, uh, applying it to the church, he says, my house will be filled. We've been talking for the last couple of weeks about how the, the house, the house of God, is the church, is the people of God. Not just this church, but the whole church, worldwide and down through time. And God says, the man who is God in the parable, says, my house will be filled. Go out and compel them to come in. So I think we have to ask ourselves, as the church, are we doing that? Or are we acting as gatekeepers? Maybe with the best intentions. Do we say, well, you know, you probably just wouldn't like it here. Um, maybe there's a better church for you somewhere else. Or better, you know, you know, I wouldn't want to interfere with your cultural sensitivities. Why don't you stick with your current religion? Jesus is saying, go out and compel them to come in. So let us, as a, as a church, be about that business. We are not exclusive gatekeepers. But that's as the church. Let me commend this thought to you as individuals, as people. Something you can apply. The gospel is so practical. Let me encourage you to apply it in your own lives. Jesus says, don't play that game. Don't try to get ahead. Don't climb the corporate ladder because of your politicking skills. Don't try to get to be the head of the committee. Don't try to, to, to work the system. Don't network for advantage. He says, skip it. You've got a God who has already put you in the best click of all. That's good enough. Be happy with that. And then you're free to love people as people, not for the things they can bring you. You can hang out with the poor and the blind. You can hang out with the nerds 
on the edge of the, the high school gym. You can hang out with whoever you want as people, not because they can give you some advantage. That's the practical reality of the gospel. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.